Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Brian Kaola, and my wife Carol and I have been members here for about nine years. And this morning I have the privilege of reading from God's Word. We'll be reading from Ephesians 6. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to use the Pew Bible on the seat, on the bottom of the seat in front of you. It'll be found on page 979 on that, in that Bible. So we'll be reading from Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, and we'll be concentrating on verse 16. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would help us to listen and be fed by your word. Please help us to remain focused and free from distraction. We pray for Larry, and that by your spirit, you would guide him in speaking the truth from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, U.S. Senator... Amy Klobuchar, you know what I need to, I need to be able to see, you know, yeah, but I could kind of see you, but then I looked up, I just noticed the one. You're all excited, I just mentioned Amy Klobuchar, you're like, where's he going with this? Let me just take an awkward pause there for a second. Um, Amy Klobuchar is a senator from Minnesota. Uh, she wrote this week in a tweet. I do a lot of my sermon preparation on Twitter, you know. And so she said she was referring to a statement made by the late John Lewis, and she said, uh, I'm taking these words to heart. They were words about voting reform. She said, we will not give up. We will uh, not give in. We will keep the faith, and we will keep fighting for voting rights. This is too important. Uh, another tweeter, reflecting on the past week's uh, elections, wrote, to every Democrat reading this tweet, Virginia is not the end of the world. Historic trends played against us. If we pass President Biden's agenda, 2022 will look much different. Keep the faith. 
These exhortations to keep the faith are not limited to the sphere of politics. Uh, Gary Goodridge, who is a mixed martial arts fighter, uh, wrote, be patient, keep the faith. It might take a year, it might take a day, but what's meant to be will always find its way. Uh, one tweeter by the name of, this is weird, uh, Shawty Astrology Fairy Sparkles. <laughs> okay, so when you just think of words that are going to get strung together by Larry in a sermon, <laughs> Astrology Fairy Sparkles was not in there, I bet, in your thinking. But here's a tweet from this individual. Have you been applying for jobs but haven't heard back from anyone yet? Try not to worry or stress about it. Keep your head high. You'll find something that resonates with your passions and interests. Keep the faith. Uh, one hopeful baseball fan earlier in the week. This hope did not turn to fruition, but uh, having heard that the Astros on 19 previous occasions during the year had won three games in a row, one hopeful baseball fan wrote, keep the faith, Astros fans. Uh, I received this positive information from a diehard Yankees fan. Keep the faith. So we see in our, in our culture, uh, there's no shortage of enthusiasm for faith. Uh, faith, keeping the faith, it, it trends on Twitter. I wasn't searching throughout the week for the best ones. I was just me on one moment going to Twitter and searching for keep the faith. And that's a little bit of what I found. Uh, these examples do reveal a little bit of a confusion about faith, don't they? Uh, what exactly is the faith that we're being called to keep? At, at the object of faith seems to be assumed or ignored or just altogether irrelevant so that uh, at least what I was able to ascertain from thinking about those different calls to faith is that really it's simply an invitation to think positively, you know, to be upbeat. Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is not calling the church to just be upbeat in Ephesians 6.16, which is the focus of our study this morning as we are working through this paragraph in Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, about the spiritual warfare that God's people are engaged in. Look again at verse 16. Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So there's a call to faith, right? It's take up the shield of faith. But Paul has something more specific in mind than sort of just a vague, airy optimism about how things are going to turn out. Uh, something that is urgent and essential in our warfare against the devil and his malicious schemes against us. And, and we want to think this morning about what he does mean by considering two things. First, we want to consider our need for the shield of faith. And then secondly, uh, our taking up the shield of faith. Our need for the shield of faith. In other words, why we need the shield of faith. And then our taking up the shield of faith. What is it exactly to take up this shield of faith? So our need. Why do we need the shield of faith? 
uh, as I was reading those tweets that I just shared with you, something that struck me is in the way that it seems to be used commonly in our culture, uh, what faith is needed for, faith is needed to shield us from the enemy, if you will, of, of bad feelings. Whether it's bad feelings about how an election turned out, or how a job search is going, or the uh, outcome of a sporting event, the basic threat being combated by these calls to keep the faith is a threat to our happiness. But when Paul takes up this issue here in Ephesians 6, he's concerned about something far weightier than your personal sense of well-being. He's not just calling you to cheer up. I'm not saying that your personal sense of well-being is a bad thing. Please don't misunderstand me. It's not as though your personal well-being is a matter of irrelevance. But there's something bigger than that. And that's, it's something bigger that Paul has in mind when he calls the Ephesian church and all of us by extension to take up the shield of faith. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which, here's why we need this shield, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So we're, we're confronted again in this verse, as we have been throughout this series of sermons, with the presence of our spiritual adversary. He's called the evil one there in verse 16. Earlier in verse 11, he's referred to as the devil. And this particular statement here in verse 16 about his flaming arrows, I mean, that is, a, that is quite an image, is it not? The, the, the reference there is to a, a tactic of war. You maybe have seen this kind of thing in a movie where uh, a, a, an army would take an arrow and would dip it in, in pitch and light it and then fire it at the enemy. So this, this is the kind of thing that really happened in battles during this time. And it's, it's used here by the Apostle Paul to depict every kind of attack that is launched by the devil and by his uh, evil hosts, as we're told about there in verse 12, who are allied with him to do us harm. Uh, those arrows may include temptations to ungodly and immoral behavior, or, to, or doubt, or despair, or fear, or external assaults like persecution, and false teaching, and physical sufferings. Paul's expression here clearly conveys the sense of extreme danger, right? We live in a world where an unseen enemy is trying to shoot you with flaming darts set on fire by hell itself. This is, this is no joke. I mean, this is serious stuff. Satan is trying to pierce us with burning arrows of temptations and deceptions and accusations and false teachings and sufferings. He has a very varied arsenal by which he seeks to inflame our lusts. And our discouragements and, and burn our lives to the ground. Remember the word that, that Peter spoke about the devil in 1 Peter 5, 8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, and each of us might be susceptible to different kinds of darts. Right, this would be a good question, perhaps, for you to consider over lunch 
this afternoon is to ask someone that you know well, that cares for you, what, what darts do you think I might particularly be susceptible to from the enemy? It could be our lusts, it could be materialism, it could be selfishness, or vanity, or anger, or fear, but whatever form it may take for you personally, there's a volley of flaming arrows that we're told are coming our way. There's, there's no way that we can just by skill, or speed, or agility dance around all these arrows. There's too many of them coming. We need to take up a shield, Paul says. And so, Paul, by this image, uh, he would kindly, doesn't feel like a kind word maybe, but this is an, ex an expression of God's kindness to us, that he would uh, shake us and wake us up to prepare us to recognize the extent of our adversary's influence. Right? You, you're not going to take up the shield if you don't realize that you're actually in a battle. His domain of darkness is expansive, stretching across the whole world. And we're told in God's word that every unbeliever, all those who, who have not taken up the shield of faith, who are not trusting in the Lord Jesus, every unbeliever is actually called the devil's child. His slave and his captive and we're told they've been blinded by him. Now I wrote that, and I thought to myself, there may be some here who are not believers in Jesus. And I, I wondered how you're hearing what I've just said over the last couple of minutes. Uh, if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus, we do welcome you among us. I wonder how all this sounds to you. You know, in our culture, uh, it, it, this scientific and technological age that we live in, uh, Satan is ignored, basically. He's written off, you know, as a myth. A, a, a red man in tights with horns and a pitchfork. Right? Maybe the punchline of a joke. And I, I can't uh, get in right now if you're here this morning and that's your general way of, of thinking. Again, we welcome you to be here. We hope you'll give consideration. We think the biblical assessment of good and evil and how evil came to be is a far richer and clearer explanation of all that is wrong in the world today than any secular ideology could give to you. I can't get into that all right now, but I just want you to acknowledge, or I just want to acknowledge that we understand that you're here among us, and we would be happy to talk with you about why we have come to believe that the Bible is a trustworthy and reliable source of truth and knowledge about your life and about our world. We don't want to gloss it. We're not trying to bait and switch you here. We're going to just tell you, I, I'm, I'm mindful of the Apostle Paul. He said, by the open statement of the truth. Well, we don't, we don't practice cunning. We don't tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So it's our commitment. If you come here and you're not a Christian, again, we welcome you here. But we want you to understand, we're just going to tell you what we understand the Bible to say. And, and we're happy to talk with you and process that with you, but we're not going to just tell you the things in the Bible that you might like to hear that might sound appealing to you, and then later on tell you a bunch of things that you were, didn't know about when you first signed up. We want to just put it out there up front to you. 
And the Bible says that every unbeliever is called Satan's child and his slave and his captive and has been blinded by him. And the Bible actually tells you this so that you might see something of the terrible condition you're in and flee to God through Christ for refuge. But this call here in Ephesians 6 is a call to the saints. We're the ones who need to understand that as we have been rescued from Satan's domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved son, that he has a special hatred towards us. He knows that his time is short and consequently he has great wrath, furiously making war on the saints with a barrage of flaming missiles that he might shoot at us. His venomous threats and rage and persecution and affliction and condemning accusations and lies and all kinds of sufferings and schemes and traps. We need to be prepared for it, children of God, and we prepare ourselves by taking up the shield of faith. That's Paul's charge here to the saints. In all circumstances, look again there at verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So when, when we understand that we're in a war and when we think a little bit about the credentials, if you will, of our adversary, what good news it is. To hear that in every circumstance, in all things, in all circumstances, we have a shield which repels the flaming darts of the evil one. And we've got to know what it is so that our faith won't be as hollow and as empty as these trite sayings on Twitter. What does it mean to take up the shield of faith? Where, where does this image of a shield come from? Well, I, I told you earlier about the, the fiery darts that would be hurled at an enemy in the midst of battle in those uh, days. And the, the shield was a, an instrument, it was a large shield, about four feet high, uh, two and a half feet wide. And so it would cover the whole body and it was made of wood and it was covered uh, with hide and bound with iron at the top and bottom. And when it was dipped in water, before a battle, it could extinguish arrows that had been dipped in pitch and set ablaze and, and shot. So that's the, that's the cultural context that's being used here when this image of a shield is being taken up. But what I've told you throughout this series is that Paul isn't only thinking about the Roman attire uh, that was used in battle, but he's thinking about the Old Testament. Right? I've told you this with the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the, the readiness of the gospel of peace. We've seen those images are coming from the book of Isaiah. Well, this, this image of the shield would be the one uh, image that is not coming from Isaiah, but this one comes mainly from the, the Psalms. It does have origins earlier than that. Uh, Jeff read to us that, that call of the Lord to Abram in Genesis 15 when, when the Lord said to Abram, I am your shield. And we, we know that Moses also uh, use this. In fact, Moses' very last words recorded in the Bible, Deuteronomy 33, 29, he wrote, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. And so it seems like those images of God as the shield, the protective shield of his people that, that was communicated to Abraham and then communicated by Moses 
that they're just taken up then in the Psalms. And you just see this imagery of God as our shield all over the Psalms, like the, the call to worship passage that we considered earlier, right? King David writing, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And then he, he just piles up every protective word he can think of, it seems. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He said, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Later in that same psalm, that's in Psalm 18, later in that psalm, in verse 30, he says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And it's really fascinating. Like if, if you've grown stagnant in your, in your Bible reading, brothers and sisters, it may be just a good thing for you to take up uh, uh, some study of David's life. You could just start in 1 Samuel 16 when David is anointed king over Israel. And you could just keep reading the end of 1 Samuel and then through 2 Samuel. And you could see how much tribulation and trouble and distress David was in. I mean, it's, he was constant. For years, he was on the run for his life. And he was a strong warrior. We know that about David. But David understood that in all the victories, in all the ways that his life was spared and he was protected and he was delivered, it wasn't because of himself. It was because of the Lord. And so we see in the scriptures that, that faith per se, right, faith in faith, that has no protective power. The scriptural call to keep the faith is not just some vague call to be optimistic and think the best of a situation. But it's the Lord who is the shield of his people. He is the one who we look to with confidence to protect us and strengthen us. He is a solid and reliable and strong resting place. That's what it means when the Lord is called our shield. And it's those who take refuge in him who specially know that strong protection. Right? He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. To, to what or to whom do you seek refuge? That'd be another question that you could talk about with somebody this afternoon. To what or to whom do you look for refuge? Like, really look. Now, we know these verses... We know the Psalms say of the Lord, you have put more, more joy in my heart than they have when their wine and grain abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We, we know those truths, but are we not apt at times to trust in other things? To seek refuge in other things? To seek refuge in our own wisdom, our own strength, our own savvy skill of mining the internet and figuring out a thing. I mean, I, I was thinking of Psalm 130, where David, I think it's David in Psalm 130. Someone will check me up on that afterwards, but it's in the Psalms. Where he says, if, if you, O Lord, should keep a record of our 
of our sins, of our iniquities. And I'm just thinking, if you, O oh Lord, should keep a record of the number of times and the number of ways in which we sought after other sources of refuge, oh Lord, who could stand? And so rather than, than receiving the promised security of God as our shield, we have actually forfeited all of us by our sin, by our preference for other refuges, other sources of protection and, and shielding. We've actually forfeited those promises of protection, and instead we have earned ourselves the curse of those who have turned away from him. So, so God's word says in Jeremiah 17, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a, he's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. What a sad and pathetic picture that is of the person who trusts in man, who finds their strength and their comfort and their security and their refuge in themselves, like a shrub just sitting there in the desert, withering and dying. I don't know as you've come into this building this morning, what kind of safety or security that you think that you need. But the greatest trouble that we have is that we have sinned against a holy and good God who will judge us for our sin and will require from us an accounting for our lives and for the disregard we have had and the disdain with which we have treated our maker. That's the greatest need we have. And in his goodness... And in his loving kindness, God has provided for all who would receive it a way of escape. He has provided a shield from the devouring fire of God's righteous wrath. The God whom we have offended in our sin. He so loves us that he's willing to help us in our trouble inviting us all to find refuge in the everlasting arms of the Lord Jesus. And we read about that plenty in the book of Ephesians, do we not? Ephesians chapter 2, we're told right after this very grim picture of how we were dead in our trespasses and how well we were following after the devil and we were sons of disobedience and children of wrath, we're told, but God... Right, you know these verses, you love these verses, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, Paul says, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." You see what Paul says so clearly there is that through faith in the Lord Jesus. Did you notice just in those four or five verses that I just read? How many times it says, with Christ, with Christ, in Christ, with Christ. 
because of Christ. Jesus is the great shield of our lives, protecting us from the trouble of our own making by absorbing in his own body the judgment of God that was due to us. Jesus came and he suffered on the cross to bear the full fury of God's wrath so that we might be shielded from it and that we might be adopted into God's family. And that can be ours if only we would flee to Jesus for refuge. Nothing we can do, not your own doing. But the gift of God to all who, with the empty-handed posture of faith, would simply receive it. Through Christ's death on the cross and by his powerful resurrection from the dead, we have been spared eternal destruction and we have been granted eternal life. All this blessing is ours through faith and through faith alone by taking up the shield of faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you perhaps, and I talk, I, I talk to, I talk to people. I'm not trying to, okay. I just, I talk to people. This is a big thing for people thinking about coming to faith in Jesus is they're very busy hunting for a feeling. They're very, they're very much craving an experience which would confirm to them that they have faith. And God's word does not point you to craving after a feeling or an experience. God says, put your faith in Jesus. Not your faith in your feelings. Not your faith in faith. Your faith in Christ. Faith in Christ says, I am a sinner. I am broken. I have rebelled against God. I deserve God's judgment because I have turned away from him. And I'm trusting that Jesus has made a sacrifice for sins. And that he's risen from the grave. And that he is able to rescue me. And it's coming to Jesus. And it's laying hold of Jesus. Don't worry about how that makes you feel immediately. Just come to Jesus. You can always come to Jesus. He's strong and he's kind. And he's not going to probe. Well, but how much feeling? Did you have this butterflies in your stomach? That's not how he receives you. Kids. Kids. It's, it's a scary world out there sometimes. I wonder if you ever get scared. Sometimes there's, there's just scary situations that we're in. Sometimes we have scary dreams. But in, in all the things that are scary, kids, I, I want you to understand that you can always run to Jesus. That's this wonderfully sweet song that we sang before I got up here. You can always run to Jesus because he, the Lord, is stronger than every scary thing that you might find out there. Jesus is strong and he's kind. And you know how we know that he's kind? We know that he's kind because he got on a cross and he died for our sins. And you know how we know that he's strong? Because on the third day, he got up from the dead. And so you can always run to Jesus because he's strong and kind. And that's what it means to take up the shield of faith. Faith takes hold of the power and protection of God himself in Christ. Faith is the, is the means by which we flee to God for refuge as every fiery dart of the evil one comes our way. Because the same faith by which we are saved from the penalty of our sin and brought into God's family as adopted children, that same faith also empowers us to triumph over the devil. 
All our, our faith is in Jesus who has disarmed the devil and all those rulers and authorities allied with him. He has triumphed over them at the cross so that no final or abiding impact of his flaming darts can be hurled at us. We are safe and we are secure from all alarms, from all the fiery darts of the enemy when we're secure and resting in Jesus. He will still come. You understand that, right? I mean, this is a word about the danger of these fire darts. It's coming to the saints. It's coming to the church. Paul's not under any illusion that coming to Jesus is going to keep you from all adversity and trials. The devil will come with his flaming darts. The, the troubles that we have faced and that we will face are many and diverse, right? Changing circumstances. There will be new strains of sickness there will be endless kinds of evil and all sorts of adversities, all of which will threaten and harm and seek to destroy or maybe even would actually kill us. That could happen. One certainty that, that I know is, you know, this is a large group of people and we're very different in a lot of ways. But one certainty that I know about this assembly right now is that there's a lot of people who are hurting. It may be the pain of, of, of a divorce. It might be the pain of lost loved ones. And that lost might mean physically not with you anymore, or it might be spiritually not with you anymore. Terrible difficulties at work or uncertainty about what you're going to do with your life. A painful troubles regarding your, your children or maybe your parents. There's a lot of pain in this room. And God's, God's word says, if you're not in a place like that right now, you actually will be one day. I know that's not the most comforting word I've given you, but that's what the Bible teaches. Paul went around strengthening the churches, telling them through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 22. But for all the evil one seeks to hurl at God's people, all the unpredictable possibilities that we could encounter through all the fiery trials we encounter, we have a shield and that shield is the Lord. Trusting Jesus is a shield that protects us from the devil's attacks. We take up by faith, we take up all the promises of God, all the truths that we're told about God. They're all ours in Jesus. You remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that all of God's promises are ours in Christ Jesus. They're yes in Christ Jesus. So when we wonder in the midst of adversity, will you be my light and my salvation, my stronghold in the day of trouble? He says in Jesus, he says yes. When God's word says in Psalm 46 that he is a refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. And you say, will you be that for me in the midst of trouble? In Jesus, he says to you, yes. When God's word says in Isaiah chapter 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And you say, will you do that, Lord? In Jesus, he says to you, yes. When, when, when his word says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And you say, God, will you be that for me? Will you supply every need that I have according to your rich? He says to you in Jesus, he says, yes. yes the, Lord. 
we could go on with that. <laughs> we could go on with that for a while. Jesus is with you in the midst of the darkness. He's not insulating you from all pain, but he's our stronghold and refuge in the midst of the trial. He is our enduring salvation, and we're told in the Bible that our lives are hidden with Christ so that it would be as if these flaming darts of the enemy, they would have to actually pull Jesus out of heaven in order to do harm to your everlasting good. And you know what? The fiery darts of the devil are not going to get Jesus out of heaven. They're not going to pull him down. He is seated at God's right hand right now, reigning and ruling over every authority and power in this age and in the age to come. And as surely as he is enthroned in heaven, you are safe in him, brother and sister Christian. And so all the fiery darts, though they might afflict you now, they will be working for you an everlasting glory as you fix your eyes on those things that are not seen. By faith, we take up the shield. The shield tells us, because Jesus suffered and died for us, because he rose from the grave, because he's enthroned in heaven, he remains almighty, he remains sovereign, he remains with and for us, and his omnipotent goodness is aimed at producing and protecting our eternal gladness in God, securing for us a permanent place in his presence, and there is absolutely no possibility of him failing to accomplish that gloriously good goal. Paul came to the end of his life, and Paul suffered a lot. I'm going to try to get you out of here a little teeny bit sooner. I'm not really, but I'm going to pass over something. But you could, just re you could just read in 2 Corinthians 11. You could just pick up this afternoon, 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. Just read to the end of the chapter and see what Paul endured. See the ways that the fiery darts of the evil one came at Paul. And then hear Paul say at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And we could insert there, I think it would be just as true that all those evil deeds that came to him, they were the fiery darts of the enemy. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When, when Jim Elliott, you know Jim Elliott? Yeah, you all know Jim Elliott. Do you know the other four? There were five of them, you know. Jim Elliott gets the press most of the time. Uh, Nate Saint and Ed McCulley and Pete Fleming and Roger Udarian, five of them, they've come to be known as the Ecuador Five. 65 years ago, they had their ambition to to deliver a people from bondage through the power of the spirit. They went to go and proclaim the gospel to a savage people, a cannibalistic people. And those five men, they tried to make contact in various ways. They, they dropped food and provisions to try to uh, show them that they were coming in peace. And finally, it was the day that, that they were going to go to make contact, verbal, physical contact with this tribe. And they, and they killed them all. And I, I don't know if you know this bit of the story, but, but before they went that day, they sang a hymn together. That's one way that we strengthen our faith. That's one way we take up the shield of faith. It's a lot more strengthening, isn't it, to sing our, these songs together than when we were in quarantine singing on our sofa? They took up, they, they, they're getting ready to go. They didn't know what was going to happen. They sang a hymn. The, the hymn is called, We Rest on Thee. And there, the, some of the words go like this. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. 
We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender, we rest on thee and in thy name we go. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling and needing more each day thy grace to know. You know, I, I, we hear stories about, like, about those men and others who have laid down their life for the gospel. And I think sometimes we, we exalt these men and women as, as heroes of the faith. And in a, sense they, in a sense they are. But you see that at the end of their lives, these men knew that they were weak people. They didn't feel like heroes. They felt their weakness. They, they sang, we go in faith, our own great weakness failing. These men knew that they were not strong. They confessed that they were weak. Is that your confession this morning? Oh, I feel my great weakness. Oh, I know each day I need to know your grace more. Well, by faith, you take up that shield. It's a calling and privilege that we have, brothers and sisters, to take up that shield together. We eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus together. You shouldn't do this alone, by the way, this is the Lord's Supper, okay? It's something we do together. 1 Corinthians 11 says, if you try to go take the Lord's Supper in your, in your living room by yourself, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're taking, okay? We could talk about that after the service if you want. We take it together. It's a way that we take up the shield of faith. We do that together. It's our calling and it's our privilege to take up that shield together, to stand firm against the evil one and extinguish his fiery darts in reliance upon Jesus, who is our ever strong, ever faithful shield and provider. So love you, brothers and sisters. I'm going to pray for us and then we will strengthen our faith together by eating and drinking in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, we do, uh, we do thank you for what a strong shield you are. We thank you for the protection you've given us from your righteous wrath that was against us. We thank you that you have, in Christ, delivered us from the domain of darkness and that you've transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. And we thank you that Jesus was willing to have his body broken and his blood shed in order to be our shelter in the day of trouble. Help us to trust him this morning. We ask this for his sake, for your glory. Amen.